Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's September 15th. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from a brawl on Ontario's 401 Highway to a Migrant Rights Network march to some TIFF coverage. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. I'm your host, Sharanki Kalantharasa, reporting for Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. And here are our top stories from today. A video shows two men wrestling on the Highway 401. A man is wanted after being involved in a brick assault on the TTC. And then we will hear Samina Sultana with her segment, Turn the Page, which will be followed by a special segment with Quentin, which is the TIFF look back. So let's get into it. For the first headline, a video shows two men wrestling on the Highway 401. A video is making headlines on many news platforms after two men were seen fighting each other in the middle of a highway stopping many cars on Tuesday near Leslie Street. This particular case of road rage made headlines due to its dangerous setting. In a couple of video footages that were compiled by Global News, many different angles of this incident where these two males were fighting can be seen. Ontario Provincial Police Surrogate Carrie Schmidt told Global News that this incident happened during rush hour and said that it was, quote, not worth it. However, the two men were not on site when police arrived. Many citizens of the area expressed their disappointment with the situation, as well as their concerns regarding road range and their safety. Police are still looking for the suspects, but no charges have been laid so far. Moving on to the second headline, a man is wanted by Toronto police after being involved in a brick assault. Police are searching for a male who will be charged for assault with a weapon after allegedly throwing bricks at a TTC passenger on the bus Thursday morning. The assault happened near Dufferin Street and Eglinton Avenue at 9 a.m. on Thursday after the suspect got into an argument with a couple of passengers on the bus. The suspect allegedly exited the bus and then returned with bricks which he then used to try and hit the two passengers. One of the passengers was admitted to the hospital after being hit in the head by the bricks, but is in a non-life-threatening condition right now. The suspect was described as a black male with short hair and was wearing pink and beige Nike shoes, cocky pants, and a beige sweater that said, Adventure awaits at the time of the incident, according to CP24. 
Meanwhile, the Migrant Rights Network is hosting a series of marches across the country to call on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to implement a permanent resident status regularization for all. I spoke with Migrant Workers Alliance for Change organizer Saram Rowe, who described what the Migrant Rights Network is. The Migrant Workers Alliance for Change is the secretariat of the Migrant Rights Network, which is the largest coalition of migrant-led groups in Canada. The Migrant Rights Network is Canada's largest coalition of migrant-led groups, and together we are calling for an immigration system where people come to the country with full rights and protections, and that's only possible with a mechanism called permanent residence status for all. Many people think that permanent residence status is a piece of paper that allows us to stay or move from the country, but it's actually so much more than that. Without permanent resident status, migrant farm workers, migrant care workers, and domestic workers, current and former international students, refugees, and undocumented people are not able to uh, speak up against abusive employers or exploitation at work, not able to access something called health care in a country that purports to have universal health care, are constantly separated from our families and live in daily fear that one day, we might face deportation because of these unfair rules. But there is an easy and pragmatic solution, which is just to treat migrant and undocumented people like everybody else. And that's only possible if everybody has the same immigration status. She spoke about the march and what it's hoping to achieve. Yes, so thousands of people across the country in 15 cities and eight provinces in Canada will be hitting the streets on uh, the weekend of September 17th, right before Parliament returns on September 18th. So uh, to call on Prime Minister Trudeau to keep the promise that he made 20 months ago and create an uncapped regularization program that will grant permanent residence status to all undocumented people and status for all migrants. The eve of Parliament's return is going to be marked by just a weekend of massive demonstrations, calling simply for equality and fairness. And that is the only way that we are going to together be able to tackle the the shared housing and affordability crisis that we're in. In Toronto, we will be meeting at 2 p.m. on Sunday, September 17th at Young and Bloor and rallying and marching together to call for fairness and status for all. One of our members who will be speaking on Sunday, September 17th in Toronto is a former international student who became undocumented because he was not able to pay for extremely high international tuition fees. At the same time, in order to be able to pay the bills and pay these uh, tuition fees, he was working at a gas station and his employers were only paying him $10 an hour. Who can live on $10 an hour? That is far below minimum wage. And his employers exploited him because of his immigration status. This is simply not fair. And yet this is um, a pattern among employers who deny workers the most basic rights and protections. And whether you are a migrant or not, it hurts all of us when employers are able to act with impunity. 
He is just one example. There are migrant farm workers, care workers, refugees, and other current and former international students who every day are becoming undocumented because of these unfair rules. There are an estimated 500,000, half a million people in this country who don't have, uh, uh, who, who are undocumented or live in daily fear of uh, deportation. Um, but Prime Minister Trudeau has an opportunity to fix this and correct a historic wrong. It's a historic opportunity he has right now to keep the promise that he made 20 months ago and create an uncapped regularization program, which will mean that that undocumented people will be able to come forward, apply and get permanent resident status, and therefore full rights, access to services. Um, and together, as a, a class of working people, we'll be able to have more collective bargaining power against uh, employers, uh, landlords, developers, institutions that seek to make profit off of our precarity. And so, again, this is an opportunity uh, he has, but he's been delayed. And so we're going to be hitting the streets, calling on him to just keep the promise that he made and get the job done. I think what's key here is that um, in order for all undocumented people to feel like this is safe, to apply, to come out of the, sh to step out of the shadows and apply, the program must be um, uncapped which means that there are no, there isn't a quota of how many spots there are and that we're not meant to fight each other, that it has to be inclusive. So, what, so no matter how long you've been in the country, what kind of work you do, what your uh, past was, um, that everybody must be allowed to apply and also for there to be an immediate stop on deportation. That is the only way uh, this regularization program will be successful. So we are calling for an uncapped regularization program that is broad and inclusive and an immediate stop to deportations without any exclusions. And that's the only way that people are going to um, be able to come forward. And it also means that once we win the uh, program, um, that, uh, you know, through word of mouth, through outreach to reach all of the friends, family, community members, classmates who are undocumented in our communities to um, uh, find the information and tools and also the organization that will protect and defend them um, um, so that they can regularize their status. And the Migrant Workers Alliance for Change is one or organization where that is possible. We are a member-led uh, members and migrant-led organization where it's our people who take care of each other, defend each other, and also fight to change the systems that hurt all of us. And Roe described the connection between Toronto's housing crisis and the permanent resident status regularization. We are all in a shared housing and affordability crisis, and that is hurting all of us. Um, uh, who are working people, and that includes migrant workers, migrant students, which means current and former international students, refugees, and undocumented people. But instead of um, putting, uh, uh, holding the people who are responsible from profiting off of this crisis that we're in, um, a lot of blame is being put onto migrants ourselves. 
Um, and it's, and without permanent resident status, migrants are not able to speak up against this injustice. The thing is, without permanent resident status, it creates a section of people in our society who have who don't have rights and protection. And what does that mean? It means the bosses win. It means the landlords win. It means the housing developers win. And these grocery stores are able to jack up prices of the uh, essential food that we need just to get by. It's actually, um, you know, uh, employers who don't pay their contributions when they are exploiting um, undocumented people. Permanent resident status for all will add billions of dollars to the public purse per year through these contributions by employers who currently don't uh, pay. And, and that means that we will be able to together call for greater public funding for po- post-secondary education, for healthcare, um, and uh, raise the floor of worker rights for all. And she says she's expecting thousands will take to the streets. You know, in um, uh, one of our actions um, earlier this year, um, there were 5,000 people who hit the streets. Um, and the um, it's a really urgent moment right now where time is passing um, and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau still hasn't created uh, a regularization program. So thousands are going to be hitting the streets. Um, in Toronto, as well as 15 other cities in the country, calling on Prime Minister Trudeau to make this a priority when he comes back to work um, on Monday. If uh, folks are not able to join the Toronto action, then we want to make sure that um, Prime Minister Trudeau, as well as cabinet ministers who are going to be debating the future of half a million people in this country, know what um, the right thing to do is. So we want to make sure that they have thousands of emails in their inboxes when they return to work on September 18th. And uh, that means, and you know, you can send anyone out there can send an email by going, by signing the petition at statusforall.ca. It's the marches are migrant led. It's mostly racialized working class women um, at the front uh, leading um, as well as um, uh, allies and supporters because many people understand that this is a shared fight. There is a reason why every federation of labor in this country has signed on to Status for All because what it will do is lift the floor uh, for all workers across the board, whether we are migrant or not. just a couple of weeks ago, 34 um, climate organizations signed, uh, have also released a statement calling for status for all. Um, there's going to be a contingent of healthcare workers and health professionals, doctors, uh, who are going to be marching um, together. Um, it's really, we can see that there's no question about it, that, of what the right thing to do is. It's simply to make sure that everybody has full rights and protections and that's only possible with full and permanent immigration status for all. Um, and you'll see that when you come to the rally in March on, in Toronto on, at 2 p.m. Sunday, September 17th. Last week on Wednesday, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Contemporary Forms of Slavery um, came um, uh, to talk to uh, members 
of the Migrant Rights Network across Canada, heard stories of um, the kind of exploitation, denial of services, family separation that uh, migrant and undocumented people face when we are denied permanent resident status. And at the end of their uh, visit here, the United Nations issued a uh, statement saying, calling Canada's temporary migration uh, system a breeding ground for exploitation. So again, there isn't a question about the what this um, system of temporary migration is facilitating. Um, but again, there is a clear and pragmatic solution. Prime Minister Trudeau promised this 20 months ago. We are calling for an uncapped regularization program that grants status for all. Finally, let's take a look at some Toronto International Film Festival coverage. Our community outreach manager, Quentin Bradshaw, has watched 27 shows at TIFF, and they've got some things to say. First off, let's hear Bradshaw's review of the feature film Seagrass, and it's showing at the film festival. In her two previous shorts, Vancouver director Meredith Hama-Brown has tackled an adolescent reckoning with mortality in 2018's Broken Bunny, and a senior's foray into the dating scene that was in 2020's Cosmic. In Seagrass, her feature film debut, Hama Brown is once again asking some big questions about love, life, and loss of innocence. When Seagrass begins, Judith and her husband Steve, played by Ali Mackey and Luke Roberts, are en route to a group therapy retreat. In the wake of her mother's passing, Judith has been feeling dissatisfied. She has two sweet daughters. You know, she has enough to live on, a marriage where nothing is tangibly wrong. But she's been feeling unhappy. With 11-year-old Steph and 6-year-old Emmy in tow, the family heads to the BC coastline. They're hoping to fix things, but as the week goes on, they only find them unraveling further. Central to this unraveling are Pat and Carol, a couple who seem to be a testament to the power of therapy. Like Judith and Steve, they're a biracial pair. But unlike Judith and Steve, they're blissfully in love. They have loud, obtrusive sex. They take elaborate vacations. They're sort of into PDA. They act as a destabilizing force simply by existing and being everything Judith and Steve feel like they should be, but just aren't. This seems to be especially true of Pat. I was really entertained by this character, but I also sort of found him to be a caricature of a caricature. Chris Pang, who plays Pat, leans into playing him as obnoxiously too good to be true. Pat drives a fancy car. He speaks many languages. He's an excellent student of group therapy, very in touch with his emotions, cries in public. Pat quotes Buddha. He offers some comic relief, but... I honestly couldn't tell if it was always intentional. I wonder if the point that Seagrass is trying to make about the contrast between these two couples would actually feel more poignant if Pat and Carol were a little less perfect and a little bit more nuanced. Steve similarly feels a little bit one note. He's the white husband who makes microaggressive remarks. He refuses to open up in therapy and resorts to infantile behavior when he's unhappy or feels threatened. Towards the beginning of Seagrass, he says that he doesn't think that he and Judith need therapy, but every interaction between them just begs to differ. 
arguments between this couple are stilted, sort of awkwardly written, which is a scripting problem as much as more than a performance problem. And even from the beginning of this movie, you're not sure if you should be rooting for this couple. But you've got almost two hours of runtime ahead of you, so you might as well try. I found the characters to draw more sympathy as individuals, particularly Allie Mackey's Judith, who is struggling to be a good mother in the midst of her grief as she reflects on her own relationships with her parents. And I just thought that Allie Mackey did a really good job of playing all the nuance of that. But while the adults are squabbling, what are their daughters doing? They're basically at summer camp, and in contrast to how I felt about whatever is going on with their parents, I really loved this plot line. I would love to know if Meredith Helma Brown is an older sibling or a younger sibling, or maybe she's just an only child who's a great observer of relationship dynamics because it's been a long time since I recognized an on-screen dynamic so intimately. Steph and Emmy are great friends when it's just the two of them, but as soon as they join the big kids, Steph ditches Emmy for new friends of her own, and Emmy flounders to find friends her own age. She'd much rather tag along with her big sister, even if her big sister is going to tease her publicly and coerce her to doing dirty work in private. It just felt so uncannily familiar to watch. Um, I'm a younger sibling, and this is a relationship dynamic that I have definitely been a part of. All of this takes place in front of the stunning background of the Pacific Coast, which was captured beautifully by a cinematographer normally. You know, it's the rugged coastline, sun glinting off water, slow, lazy afternoons in the pool. Seagrass is just really gorgeous to look at. Sequences that featured swooping camera movements, hinting at something otherworldly, felt a little bit out of place to me, both thematically and visually. Uh, But otherwise, this has been one of my favorite film-watching experiences of the festival, from a visual standpoint. Seagrass isn't a flawless first feature, but it's an interesting effort that looks great and has at least one plot line that I think is worth your attention. I'll be interested to see what Meredith Hama Brown does next. And if you're interested in checking out Seagrass, it's doing the fall festival circuit right now. So it's at Cinefest Sudbury International Film Festival uh, this September. Then it's going on to Vancouver International Film Festival a little later in the fall and Atlantic International Film Festival uh, before hopefully it eventually finds distribution and you can see it in a theater near you. And Bradshaw interviewed another film's director, D.W. Watterson. Watterson directed Backspot. Hi, I'm Quentin, and you're listening to Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. This September, Met Radio is on the ground at the Toronto International Film Festival, and we're bringing you all the reviews, film news, and more you could want out of TIFF 2023. One of the most exciting Canadian films premiering at TIFF this year is Backspot, the feature film debut of D.W. Watterson, a queer and non-binary Toronto-based electronic music artist and filmmaker. It stars Devery Jacobs as Riley, an ambitious young cheerleader who begins cracking under pressure when she and her girlfriend are both selected for an elite cheer squad. Backspot is world premiering on Friday, September 8th at 8.30 p.m., and I was able to speak with D.W. Watterson a few days before its big debut. Well, yeah, thank you so much for chatting, and congratulations on the film. I watched it last night. I really enjoyed it. Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, and, you know, it's pretty huge to have your debut feature film at TIFF. How are you feeling with the festival starting up tomorrow? 
I mean, I can't believe that people are going to see my movie in like 48 hours. I think it's, you know, it's still kind of washing over me. But yeah, I mean, like TIFF is awesome. I remember when I went to, you know, Ryerson, formerly named, um, and TIFF would always be lineups down the block. And there was such an energy, especially going to, to film school there. And yeah, TIFF has just such an energy for this city. So being able to come with my own film and, and debut it here is really exciting. Yeah, that must feel special having that Toronto connection too. Yeah, feels like like home team, you know, like home home field advantage. Totally. Um, so before like the feature film, Backspot, coming out in two days at the festival, um, back in 2017, you directed a short by the same name. Um, did you always intend to adapt that into a feature film or was it something that like as you were making it, you realized the material there was something you wanted to dig into more? Yeah, I kind of approached that piece as like a proof of concept. I know sometimes, you know, when you're applying for grants or you're trying to talk to people about your film, when people have a visual piece, it's a lot helpful for them to understand the tone or the style or, or what you're trying to go for. Uh, so that was always kind of my intention with with that piece was it to, to be a, a proof of concept, because I feel like, you know, when you hear cheerleading, I think people's minds go to bring it on and fun and glossy and campy and funny but maybe not as much substance and so I was trying to kind of turn people's heads towards grittiness and tension and anxiety and like how much uh stress these girls put on their bodies totally yeah and then what was the process like once you had that proof of concept of getting from there to here I mean, I honestly think making movies like 17 Miracles and Blood, Sweat and Vomit. So we we thankfully had all of those things. Um, yeah, just a, I had a great team, great producing team, a lot of hustle. Uh, obviously, like a big factor was Elliot Page coming on board. Him and Page Boy came on about like two years ago. So when they kind of came came on board, it kind of regenerated excitement for for the project. And then everything really started to kind of fall in line and, and move quite quickly towards shooting. Yeah. And Devery Jacobs, right, also starred in the original short and is yes. obviously the star in this and is so fantastic in it. Um, so I was curious about sort of what both those collaborations were like in terms of, you know, sort of their impact on the final product and the film and how much, you know, say and, and input everyone had in that whole collaborative process. Yeah, I mean, I love collaboration. I feel like when you work with people who are great at their craft, it only makes you better. Devery and I kind of met five years ago and immediately kind of like hit it off creatively and having a lot of similar films that we like and just kind of very similar taste in, in kind of what we were drawn towards. I think we were on our way to TIFF, I believe, five years ago. And I was really trying to break this story. I was like, I knew I wanted to kind of explore the sports world from a different perspective and the stress it can have on relationships outside of the game. And I remember seeing a couple of films that year that had like cheerleading sequences or somebody was wearing a cheerleading uniform and it just kind of hit me all at once in a taxi. And Deb happened to be there. And I kind of just flippantly was like, yeah, 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 you can be, you can star in it. And little did I know, she was a provincial champion competitive gymnast, which absolutely gives gives an edge. Um, so she had the history, she had the knowledge, and even working with our writer, Joanne Sarazin, Devery brought in a lot of her gymnastic stories, like, you know, they would have sleepovers at the gyms, like that was based off of her, her experiences 
so yeah kind of like again bring our perspectives together and stories together to ultimately make backspot yeah that's awesome and then was she able to do a lot of her own stunt work in the film all of all of her own stunts oh that's incredible yeah she trained for like three four months before the film because she knew the kind of tumbling aspect but there were like little adjustments of what cheerleaders do versus gymnasts do and then we have also been working with cheer fusion uh which is a brampton cheerleading squad and they've been so great to us opening their doors so me and my writer would go and like watch practices or go with them to cheer comps to make sure we were accurately portraying the world and then they also helped kind of train devry to actually backspot like that is her catching girls in the air and tumbling and all of it. Although Seagrass has completed all its scheduled showings, you can watch Backspot at 9.45 p.m. tonight at Scotiabank Theatre. And if you're looking for some more TIFF coverage, make sure to tune into Movie Mixtape over the next week as we roll out more interviews and reviews. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silvaponte. This episode was put together by myself, Quinton Bradshaw, and Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.